All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, um, to be here to continue this, this um, series on the I am statements that are found in the Gospel of John. Uh, I really think the I am statements are very powerful, powerful statements that, that reveal uh, Christ to us. And, um, and, and we started looking at them. We started looking at them, I think, uh, we, with Joanne's... Actually, we started by, by reading the book of John, right? Uh, the entire book um, here. Uh, at one sitting, and, and then we had the sermon on, on how Jesus says, you know, he's the bread of life, and we covered in, in CG how, how he, he says he's the light of the world. And today, today we're not just going to deal with one statement, but we're going to have two statements. I uh, should be getting like double pay for, for this sermon, but I'm not even getting paid, but don't worry, got treasures in heaven, so God, please, double pay. All right. Um... And the reason that we're looking at all these statements, you know, the bread of life and, and, and the light of the world and, and, and what we're looking at today is because these, these are ways that Jesus uses, uses these metaphors. They are all metaphors that he uses to reveal himself to us. And they are metaphors because, you know, Jesus is not literally uh, bread. He's not like a gingerbread man who, who is made out of bread and then you eat him. But, but it's, it's meant to be an, a figure of speech that... that points towards certain qualities um, of Jesus, which, if you listen to Joanne's sermon, you would know what they are. And, and I don't know whether you guys like metaphors, or whether you like things being explained through metaphors. How many of you actually like, like literature, like in school? No, who say no? Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I, quite, I quite like literature. I quite like literature. Um, and, 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 you know, that, that's why my, my Instagram account is dpoet1, which if you follow the Lao Jan Instagram, you would have known by now because they revealed my secret identity to everyone yesterday. I actually, I actually got, like, new followers from that post. Uh, so, so thanks a lot, uh, Media Min. Thanks for that. But, but you know, I, I, like, I, like, I like literature. But to be honest, you know, when I read the book of John, sometimes I get a bit... Uh, frustrated as well, because the book of John, compared to the other Gospels, can be a very, to me, a very literary text. You know, it's full of, of metaphors and allusions and, and figures of speech. And so if you don't like literature, I, I mean, I can really sympathize with you, because, you know, you, you go through and you see all these I am statements and the bread of life, and Jesus is always speaking in this, like, very rather obtuse way. And then by the time you hit John 10, and by the time you hit John 10, he's not just using a metaphor to describe himself, but he's using two metaphors to describe himself at the same time. You know? The, 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 the metaphors are items in a great Singapore sale. It's buy one, get one free. They are, they are, they are dishes at an at a all-you-can-eat buffet. They just keep coming. And by the way, you just see what I just did there? You know, metaphor, great, great Singapore sale. I know you don't get it. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. Like, like the great Singapore sale, I use it as a metaphor for metaphors. And the buffet is a metaphor for metaphors. Ah. And you know, it's like, it's like metaphor mayhem and metaphor madness. That's alliteration. It's like the metaphors for running wild. That's personification. <laughs> hey, how am I? 
my spelling maybe C la, but my lit at least A plus, right? Yeah, so so I mean I can understand if, if you if you don't like literature by the time you hit this, you'll be like you probably have a lot of questions and you're like, Jesus, what are you trying to what are you trying to say? And and you know, even when I look at this passage in John 10 and I look at how he, he goes, Jesus goes through the passage, I myself have a lot of questions, um, which I, and some which I can't even answer today and which, which, which still bug me. But, but I, I think what Jesus is looking for is someone who, who seeks, who has questions but is seeking. And I think that is actually maybe part of the reason why he speaks in metaphors. He's trying to look for those who are earnestly seeking. And he says that if you seek, seek me uh, with all your heart, you will find me. And, and I think the other thing about metaphors, as, as any good literature teacher will tell you, like Joanne, is that they, they are able to reveal something that strikes our heart rather than just our head. You know, like good doctrine, good theological doctrine can, is something that we can appreciate more with our heads. But, but you know, these images and these metaphors, they, they really go towards striking our heart and, and speaking, speaking to our hearts. And that's really what we want to do today. I really pray and hope that um, what, what I'm going to sh- share with you, which is really just going through this passage and trying to, 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 to give light to it, will not just be something that we process with our heads, but it's something that the Holy Spirit will bring um, to bear and, and cut your heart and, and really speak to your spirit man um, today. So, so with that, um, let, let us just go into the passage and I would if you could bear with me, I am going to read through the passage. I hope it's not going to be too long, but I think it will be helpful. So, so let, me, let me read through. John 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate who enters through me. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. And he does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They will also listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay my life down. Uh, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. 
this command I received from my father. And let's just stop there. And, and so, I don't know, by now, are you guys, do, you, do, you, do you guys know what, what, do you completely understand this, chap- uh, this, this passage? I mean, there's, there's really a lot in this passage uh, to be talked about that can be discussed. It's really, it's, it's re- really a pretty deep passage. But today, what I want to do is I just want to cover, um, try to cover the core of it and try to, to bring out the core of, of what Jesus is saying. And to do that, I'm going to, it's just really, it's going to be a very simple sermon. Uh, in, in my mind, and it's just going to be a, a two, two ideas and, and, and two concepts which, which we need to, to grasp and, and to, to explain uh, this. And so the first idea that I think we need to understand, um, is this working? No. Is that there is a way that leads to death. There, is a, there are parts in our life that can lead um, to death. And, and you, might not, you might think that I'm speaking again rather in a, in a strange way, but, but look, the, how does Jesus start this passage? He starts with the metaphor by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Right from the outset, even though he doesn't say it explicitly, there is this assumption that not everyone who enters the sheepfold, not everything that comes into our lives is good for us, is beneficial to us. There are things that are, not just are they not beneficial, but they're actually harmful. Because Jesus goes on later on to say in John 10.10, 10, that what does the thief come to do? He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And, and there are things that will come into our lives and, and they will cause us harm. Uh, you know, um, it can be people, it can be influences, it can be ideas, it can be a lot of things. And, and they'll lead us down a path that ultimately can lead to hurt, to pain, to suffering, to death. And you might be thinking, okay, this, what you're saying is it's not, it's not rocket science, or it's not something amazing, it's some, not some new discovery. Obviously, there are things, it's pretty dull, right? There are things that will cause harm to you. And, and, and we all know that. There are things... They're obviously bad for us. So, you know, you know, we all know that, you know, you shouldn't steal. If not, you, I mean, apart from it being bad, you, you might end up in jail and then you, you get a black mark and, and all those things. You know that we shouldn't do drugs because, you know, that can, can wreck your life. You know that you shouldn't be hurtful to, to generally to people. You should be just generally be a nice guy. If not, you know friends, you know. And, um, and, and so, there are things that obviously we all know are harmful, but yet, that. People still do these things. Um, and, and, there's a, and, and while it might be obvious, there's a reason I think that we need to call it out or why it should be called out right at the start when we look at this passage. And it's not because of the thing that, like, you know, like, even though we know it, when it actually comes to certain decisions we make, we, we tend to forget it and all that. I mean, that's a separate point. The reason that I want to sort of call this out right from the start, this idea that there are things in this world that are out to harm us, that are out to, to cause us... Uh, uh, suffering and pain is because this idea, I believe, is being challenged more and more um, or by the world and people would say more and more today. You know, and we see it in, in, in like the so-called big social issues like things like, say, divorce which is, uh, used to be a lot more of a big deal but nowadays maybe due to the Hollywood culture or, or what, what is happening around it is increasingly an option that, 
that people feel is common and, and, and normal. And only last year I met, uh, I bumped into some friends who, who had been married for three years and I found out that they were getting, getting a divorce. And, and there's a lot of hurt and pain and suffering that comes out from these things. And yet, the world around us is increasingly saying that hey, these things are okay. These things are normal. You know, like even in like the Bruno Mars song, uh, Marry You, you can, he actually says, like, it's a song about like, I'm going to marry you. But then he says, like, you know, if you, if you wake up and you want to break up, it is cool. I don't blame you. You can, yeah. So it's, it's no, no, no surprise because of how um, society is developing. But we also see it in, in day-to-day issues that, that, that we struggle with, right? That, um, that we, we face challenges. Um, sexual openness, you know. Uh, what's wrong with sleeping around and, and, and having multiple partners? It's my body. But yet, things, again, hurt. They can lead to hurt. Debauchery. You know, yeah, it's just, it's just, so what if I got wasted last night? What's wrong? It was just a bit of fun. And I'll talk about that a bit more later. Lewdness, greed. You know, the, these things, a lot of them, they might start off as being a bit like, you might seem like a bit of fun, but it often spirals out into things that we have heard stories of how they can spiral off into things that either cause hurt or that, that lead us to just seek one high after the other. And, and what has become more and more taboo is actually the idea that, you know, these things might not be right, that these things might not be beneficial to us, that maybe we should exercise a bit more restraint in engaging with these things. And, you know, if you, if you try to suggest that, people will look at you like it's a bit strange. And, that, and that's not just an isolated sort of issue, but it's one that is permeating throughout how we think and how society thinks and op- operates ever since, you know, moral... This idea of moral relativism is, is coming about and, and, and things like that. But what, so that's why I want to focus here that Jesus, from right from the start, he's saying, don't be fooled. There is a right and there is a wrong. There is good and there is evil. There are things that are good for you and there are things that will harm you, that will, that will kill, steal, and, and destroy, and that will lead to death. And the Bible elsewhere, in Proverbs, puts it this way. And this doesn't work. Is anyone helping me? Yes, there we go. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is a way to death. And let let me give you an example of this um, from my own life. Now, I think previously when I spoke, I might have shared about how um, during university, there was a point when I grew distant from God, and I started getting involved in a lot of wrong things. Uh, I started going to clubs and drinking and partying a lot. And I would often return home drunk. And uh, my parents would get worried, especially when, you know, because they, they were not used to seeing me like this. Because when I was, when I was like, going to church a lot and like, when I was closer to God, I, I would obviously not do these things. But, but I started getting involved in this. And so they were getting very worried. And I thought, hey, look, I know what I'm doing. You know, it's just a bit of fun with my friends. What's the big deal? They're, they're just being overprotective parents. And, and you know, sometimes we might, we might go slightly overboard, but, but it's fine, right? That's just part of the thrill of life. That's part of the adventure that is life. Um, so I, th- I thought I knew what I was doing. And then one day I was in this club uh, with some friends, and again, we, we had a lot of drinks. And as, you know, as the usual case, people will try to be like, oh, very yaya, and then see who can drink more, and, and, and things like that. And so by a certain point of time, I, I become pretty gone. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah, I've been pretty gone. I mean, I mean, I've been pretty drunk, 
and, and um, this club was pretty big. So I lost my friend somehow, which, which tends to happen. You tend to lose things when you're drunk, actually. Um, yeah, but, but um, I said I lost my friend somehow. And then I started going around and around the club. It's quite a big club, and I was trying to find, find them. And I couldn't find them. And then, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're high, you, you, you also, like, your emotions are a bit strange. So you started going around faster and faster. And then your psychomotor skills are also not very good. So I started going around faster. And, and then, like, there was this staircase. And there's this staircase, and I was, like, trying to rush down it. And at the top flight of the staircase, I stumbled, and I fell all the way down. And I fell down and bam. And then I tried to get up, and I realized I couldn't. And I realized I was in a lot of pain. And I realized there was something wet on, on my head. And, and I was bleeding from my head. So, so what happened was, um, was, yeah, so they, like everyone came to attend to me, and uh, they took me to the back. There was a part at the back where they kept me, and then the ambulance came, and I had to go to the hospital. Um, I got seven stitches on my head, uh, which I think the scar is still there. And I woke up the next day, my father was there, he was obviously not happy. Um, my friends were there, I don't know why they were there, because if I was them, I would not want to face my father, but, but they were there. So, so and, and you know, it, and, and yeah, so in that case, quite literally, something which seemed right to me, quite literally nearly could have led to death. And, and you know, that's, the reason I thought about this story, actually, this story came to my mind when I was preparing this sermon, is because I was looking at, oh, the good shepherd, okay, what does it mean to be a shepherd? And, and if you go and look at shepherds of Israel uh, and how they tended to their flock and, and stuff like that, you, one of the common things that they would say is that there was this practice that they had. And, you know, shepherds, they would have a flock and there would be young lambs that would um, come along, that would be part of the flock. And these young lambs, um, because they're young and they don't know the shepherd's voice, they had a greater tendency to stray away from the shepherd. And if this happened quite a bit, what the shepherd would do is he has a rod and he'll take the rod and he'll sort of like crack the lamb's leg such that the lamb cannot walk. And it might seem quite cruel, but it actually is really an act of, of great love. Because if, if, the, if the lamb runs off, it can like, you know, get eaten by wolves, or it can fall down a cliff, or, or something, something of that sort. It can, it can lead to, to a lot of harm, it can lead to the lamb's death. So the shepherd would crack the, the lamb's leg, and then the shepherd would carry the lamb on his shoulder as they move from pasture to pasture, or as they move around. And because of that, the lamb would learn who the shepherd is, he'll learn to become very familiar with the shepherd, he'll learn the shepherd's voice, and the shepherd would nurse the lamb back to health. And when the lamb was healthy again, the, she- the lamb would just follow the shepherd because he has come to know the shepherd. And, I, and I, I read this, and I said, Hey, that's me! Except instead of cracking my leg, God cracked my head. So, and, and you know, it, it really is, um, that really is the case because during that time, when I first felt so distant from God, I always say that like, it felt that like God was holding on to me rather than, than I was holding on to Him and He was just carrying me on His shoulders. And the verse that always comes to my mind is Philippians 1.6, where He who began the good work in you will see it through to completion. And, and it was really the love of that good shepherd that, to, to, to protect me. And that's why I love that song just now that was saying, you know, like, uh, 
the, the one where he breaks the wall and breaks down the lies and, 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 and things like that. And, and, and there's no end that, that Jesus won't go to protect you from this evil in this world. And so that is one aspect of the Good Shepherd and the gate. They, they guide us, they show us the way, they keep us from harm. The, the shepherd's voice, it leads us. You look at verse 3, he leads, he leads us. He protects us to the point that, that he lays down his life for us. That's verse 11. And the gate, the gate is what keeps out the evil. It's the boundary that helps demarcate or, or helps keep, to show us where the goodness is. You look at verse 9. And essentially what Jesus is saying is that as the gate, as the shepherd, he is the way to show us, uh, he is the, the way that will guide us. And you know, I would, I would like to think, I would like to say that after that incident, I immediately, it was an immediate wake-up call for me and, and, I, and everything sorted out. But well, that was not quite the case, and, and, but that's a story for another day. Uh, but the reason it was not the case is because I was still very arrogant and stubborn, and I still thought that, you know, there is a way that seems right to me and I knew what I was doing. And, and that type of arrogance and that type of stubbornness is actually really the story of, of man in general um, throughout. And you know, just now we talked about literature. We started off talking about literature and metaphors. Let's talk a bit about history. So who likes history? Alright, I also like history, except it doesn't feature in my Instagram account. Uh, I, I don't know how it can. Uh, maybe I like the old poet. Then, then I'll be like, history. Uh, maybe I'll change to that. But yeah, no, if you look at history and just look at modern history, right? It's really a story of man trying to find a way that seems right to him to solve everything around him. You know, do you, do you hear this thing called the French Revolution? You know, what? <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah, it happened in France, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. Um, but yeah, the French Revolution, the, I mean, one of the big ideas behind the French Revolution is let's overthrow the monarchy, let's overthrow the lords and ladies so that we take their wealth and we distribute it to everyone and then everyone doesn't need to work so hard and you know, we can enjoy the arts and the culture and go for plays or maybe now go for movies and, and, I, I, and, and, and all these things. But what happened? I mean, if you think about it, do you think that we're working any less now, do you think that, that, that people are striving any less now? That, that, that in fact, it started a, a, a sort of the, the whole idea of the rat race and everything like that started coming out from the French Revolution and the rise of, of what came out of it. And, and so it was not a solution. It did not create a utopia. And then we have communism that came around. And again, you know, they say take the money from the, from, from the, the bourgeoisie and, um, and, and put it and give it to the, the workers. And that would create a utopia. And, and, and again, we know that didn't work. I think that is part of your syllabus in school. So you know the, the, the Soviet empire um, uh, fell and, and all that. And then the capitalists saw it and they said, aha, you see, communism is lousy. Capitalism is the best. It will solve all the world's problems. And, but then 2008 came and you know, there was this big, I don't know whether you know, there was this big recession. Oh, that one you know, okay, great. And it just exposed the greed and, 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 and the institutional deficiencies in the entire capitalist society. And, and now, we have what we call like a tech revolution, you know? You got like uh, internet and blockchain, everything is on blockchain, and um, 
AI and all these things. And a lot of people are saying that this is going to solve the world's problems. But I really don't believe that it will. Because man keeps thinking that there is a way that he that is right and that he can solve his own problems. But all these ways still lead back to square one, the same problem which is suffering, death, pain, and, 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 and so on. And, and that's the first point. There is a way that leads to death. But it's important not to stop there because that's really not the main point. That's really not the main point of this passage. It's not the main point of my sermon. In fact, it's just a lead up to the main point. And so what is the main point? The main point is that unlike the world, unlike the thieves and robbers, Jesus gives life and he gives life to the full. Now, as you would recall, life is a central theme to the, to the book of John. We talked about the bread of life. We talked about there was also the light of life, the light of the world and the light of life. We're going to talk about the resurrection and the life and the way, the truth and the life. And it is central to the gospel. And that is because the gospel is not some doomsday message. It's not here to tell you that, oh, there are all these bad things that can harm you. It is good news. It is good news because it is about life. And the reason I started with, and I want us to understand the inadequacies of what the world offers, the inadequacies of the path, the way that leads to death, is to understand then the fullness of what Christ offers. And that is what Christ does actually in this passage. He doesn't talk about thieves and robbers and hired hands because he wants to warn people about them so much. Yes, kind of, but not really. He does that to contrast that with the good shepherd. The thieves and the robbers and the hired hands are a contrast to the good shepherd. So that's your fourth literary device, juxtaposition. You know what's juxtaposition? It's when you take something and you put it next to something else and you see the difference. So juxtaposition. Yeah, so he juxtaposes the, three, the thieves and the robbers and the, and, and the hired hands with, with the good shepherd. And I'm just going like, to pause here for a while and look at this idea of the thieves and the robbers. And you know, like, when we look at John 10.10, 10, for those of you who have like, been coming to church a lot and you know, since you're a kid and stuff like that, you'd have heard this verse before, you know? Um, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But, but I've come to give life and life to the full. And, and we often talk about the thief as being Satan, the great adversary. And I don't think that's wrong. I mean, I, 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 and I'll explain why. But actually... If you ask me, and, and I mean, there, there might be different views on this, but if you ask me when you look at this passage, when Jesus talks about the thieves and the robbers and the hired hands, he's not really, in this context, really pointing to, I believe, Satan. He's pointing to the Pharisees. And the reason being that the Pharisees, so if you, if you read the book of John, you know that these Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the leaders, the religious leaders of, of, uh, of the time. And these people, like if you look at the, the stories that, that came out, they, 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 were, they were not really the, the loving type of guys that would, you know, um, go out and, and tend to the flock. And, and Jesus was saying that you guys are thieves and robbers. You have been in a position of spiritual authority, but you are not really the good shepherd. You are actually just thieves and robbers who are causing harm to the flock, who are causing harm to my people, and I am the good shepherd. Or if you're not thieves and robbers, then you're hired hands who, who won't lay down your life for my flock. But I will lay down my life for the flock. And so, in this context, 
um, the thieves and the robbers and, and the hired hands, they refer to the Pharisees. But it is not wrong to say that Satan is the great thief. Uh, and in elsewhere in the book of John, uh, Jesus also refers to the Pharisees as children of Satan. And, and so, so that, that, is, that is not wrong. Uh, you have not been learning the wrong things, don't worry. Um, but, but I just wanted to point that out. And the reason I want to point it out is because it, it, it sets up how Jesus was trying to show to the crowd that look, look at the Pharisees and look at what I offer. And what I offer is much, much better. And, and so the point here is that Jesus, yeah, he's not coming here to just proclaim doom and gloom. He came to give a solution. He came to give life. And, and, how, and how does Jesus give life? What does it mean to give life to the full? Um, there really is a lot that can be unpacked from this, but today I just want to touch on sort of two aspects. And the first aspect, well, both aspects are there, never mind. The first aspect is Jesus provides. Jesus provides. Now, let's look at, at, at verse um, 9. And what does Jesus say about being the gate? I am the gate. Whoever enters me, by me, he'll be saved and we'll go in and out and find pasture. We'll find pasture. And pasture is, is you know, where the sheep go to, to gaze and, and, and to get fed and, and things like that. And it's a place of rest, of refuge, of peace. And, and that is what Jesus um, is saying that He will do. He will provide for His sheep. Now, two weeks ago, I think during the second service on Sunday, uh, Isaac Ong came and he, he spoke and he referred to this passage. And, you know, he gave a lot of amazing stories about God's provision in his life. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard of them before. And, and if you haven't, you should, you should go and download his sermon and, and, and listen to it. But, but today, I, I'm not really looking to share amazing story, stories of uh, God's provision. Um, but I want to share something uh, similar, uh, simpler. Um, when I look at my own life, I really see and I honestly believe that God, God's provision has been there in, a, in pretty simple but amazing ways. You know, um, I just changed jobs um, back in November. And, and because my, what do you call it, notice period, like how long? I mean, okay, basically I didn't have much time between the jobs. I only had like two days. Um, uh, so, um, but it was, it was a good two days where I had a bit of rest. And on the first, first of the first day, I decided I'm going to go and just walk down from my house to Star Vista and just have a steak at one of the re uh, restaurants there for dinner. And so I did that. And then I walked back. And as I was walking back, it just hit me, you know, like, wow, God, you know, you've provided for me a job. I'm in between jobs, I've, but I can go and eat steak. I have nothing to worry about. And everything is really just so good. And, and how you have really seen me through um, from university till now to, 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 to where you're leading me. And I see your hand in what, what I'm doing. And, and I really just felt like falling down at that point of time and just praising God for, for His provision. Because you know, in, in other countries, there really are people who, who are struggling to, to, to make ends meet. Uh, meet. And um, well, I don't know. But, but yeah. Um, but yeah. And... And following on from that, um, some about a month ago or so, um, I started having this um, prompting, uh, which is what God spoke to me that, you know, I've not actually ever kept the Sabbath. 
And uh, God spoke to me that, you know, maybe you should. And, and I was like, oh, okay. Wow, but that's really hard because um, the profession that I'm in sometimes, or, or maybe it's just me, uh, I often end up working like pretty much every day. I mean, at least to some extent, you know? And I've never actually done this thing where like, I really take a full day of rest um, on, 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 a, on a Saturday or a Sunday. And I was like, okay. But, but I heard some stories and people, and I was urged to go and do this. So I really made it a point over the past few weeks to set apart either Saturday or Sunday and really not do any work on that day. Now, some of you might think, that, wow, that's so, really so easy work. Why do why, why you need to do work? Uh, but, but I don't know, it's a bit different because I, I'm, I'm really a bit like, I mean, I believe in like hustle. I believe that you should really uh, go out and, and, and do, do work. And, I, and, and when I get emails, I need to respond to them as quickly as possible. And I'm, I'm that type of person. And, and, and you know, you want to show so that you are on top of things with the boss and, and things like that. And so I decided, okay, I'm, but I'm just going to set aside Saturday. I don't know, I hope nothing urgent comes up. And, and true enough, nothing urgent did ever come up. And every, it's not like my work has suffered. It's not like I'm not finding favor with my bosses. In fact, I, I seem to be doing, doing a lot better. And, and you know, like even like as I was preparing for this sermon, I, I was struggling to prepare for this sermon because on Friday night, they keep still messaging me. And I had to just tell them, no, I, 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 need, to, <laughs> I need to go and do something else. So, so thank you, goodbye. Um, and yeah, they still, and they still, they're still happy with me for some reason, even though like, okay, but anyway, the point is, I, you know, I, I, I had this prompting to keep the Sabbath. And, and it has been amazing in that sense because that day really is a day of rest. It's a day of peace. And, and even in my work and in what I do, uh, I, I feel a greater sense of rest, even though I might be more busy in a certain way, but at the same time, I'm, I'm operating out of a place of rest. And that is what Jesus, I believe, offers. That is what Jesus is calling us to, uh, to, to seek pasture to Him. Because it's really about... Um, it's really about being sheep. You know, sheep, they just follow the shepherd. They're they not trying to run around and do things by, by themselves or trying to, 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 you know, strive for themselves or trying to get their homework done and get their test scores done by themselves, but they're just following the shepherd. Now, I'm not saying that, of course, if you, if you keep the Sabbath and if you just follow Jesus, your life will be hunky-dory and, you know, you'll have a lot of material blessings and all that. No, no, that, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that there is... What he's offering is something greater. He's offering a real peace, which people have been trying to find for ages, that peace from toil, that peace from strife, that peace from uh, struggle. And, and he offers that. And you know, that's why in, um, if you look at Psalm 23, you look at Psalm 23, and this is a psalm of, uh, that we talk about, the Lord being our shepherd again, and he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And He refreshes my soul. You know this idea that He makes you lie down by green pastures? You know how amazing that is? For a sheep to lie down, there need to be at least three things that, that are there for it. It needs to be firstly well fed. The sheep also need to be so-called not having any like they need to be getting along with each other. The sheep cannot be fighting with each other. And the sheep need to feel safe, you know, from all danger. And in Psalm 23, the Lord, He lets us lie down. It, it, that's why you don't really see a lot of sheep lying down because a lot of time they, they might be on the edge. But in the presence of the Good Shepherd, 
there is peace, there is serenity, there is, there is rest. And He makes us lie down in green pastures. And so, what I would like to encourage us today is really, I don't know how, I mean, this might be something that maybe for you to reflect upon. I don't know how you integrate God with your, you know, your work and your studies and things like that. But really, I encourage us to go and really try to operate from that place of rest, to really stop striving and start first start with Jesus. And, you know, uh, start with following the shepherd and trusting the shepherd and entrusting where he leads you and walking in step with him. So, so that's the first point. Rest, pasture, peace, Jesus provides. The second point is Jesus loves. And you see, it's, it's one thing it's one thing to provide, but it's another thing to love. And I'm not sure, but I think there's a reason why Jesus started off with, with saying that he's the gate. And you know, the gate shows the way into the pasture. And it shows that the, the, the analogy of the gate sort of shows how he provides. But then he goes on to talk that he is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd also provides. But there's one difference between the good shepherd and the gate. And the difference is, to me, very simple, is that you cannot have a relationship with a gate. You know, no, no one goes to the gate and says, gate, I love you. The, Jesus was trying to take the, 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 the metaphor to another level by saying that he's the good shepherd and he is one who seeks us and seeks to love us and seeks to have a relationship with us. And, and you know, there is a difference between provision and love. Do you, do you know that? I'll, I'll give you an example of this. And the example is, so, so I'm a lawyer by, by profession and you know, um, one part of law is family law, and, and, and we deal with divorce cases. Well, I've not actually dealt with any myself, but I've, my friends have. And, and when, when, a, when a couple get uh, divorced, they, there are two things that the court orders. The first is um, a split of their assets. So to put it simply, if, say, in your wallet you have $10 today between the two of you, they will find a way to split that $10 into two and give, I don't know, maybe 50-50 or something like that. You get it? But obviously, that $10 or the $5 is not going to last you in the long term, right? I mean, obviously, in real life, it's more than $10. But, but still, whatever, whatever is split is not going to last you forever. So they usually also order one of the, the parties to pay what is called a maintenance. And usually, it's the husband. Uh, like 99% of the time, it's the husband. And the husband has to pay this thing called maintenance. And... and that will depend on what's the lifestyle that they were leading. And he has to pay it for the wife, and he has to pay it for the children. Now imagine you are a child who is in this situation, right? Now some of the fathers, they, are, they, they want to see their, their children, and they, they want to get to know them. And, but some of them don't. And so you do have, quite possibly, a very rich father who might be providing for you, but that might not be loving you. You see that? So there is a distinction and Jesus wanted to show us that He's not just a provider. You know, if you want provision, that, that's just not it. He's here. He's a lover of your soul. He loves you. And that really actually is the crux, the core, the, the absolute core of this, of, of this entire uh, metaphor and this parable because you need to look at it in the context. So where is this 
John 10, where, where does it come out? It comes from after John 9, duh. And, and what happened in John 9? So let's go and look at John 9. John 9 is the story, and this is no longer a metaphor, it's, it actually happened, of the healing of a man who was born blind. And it's a really a pretty cool story, if you ask me. Sorry, I'm all over the place. Alright, so let's look at John 9, and we look at the start. I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but let's just take a look at what's happening here. So there was a man, he was born blind. And, and, you know, he came to Jesus and, uh, or rather the disciples asked him, because in, in the Jewish custom, they believed that a man born blind was due to the sins of either himself or his parents. And so they asked him, so who, who sinned for this man to be born blind? Was it him or his parents? And Jesus said this very strange thing, which, or rather, it might not only seem strange to us, but it was very strange to those who would have heard it in their Jewish tradition. And he said that, look, it wasn't neither his man, neither this man nor his parents, but it was so that the the glory of God could be, could be shown to, to, to the, the work of God could be displayed. And, and so what he then did is he went and, he, I mean, he said he's the light of the world, and, and he, he went and he healed the man. He, he spit um, on, on some dirt that he took from the ground and he covered the, the man's eyes and he told him to go and wash uh, in, in this pool. And the, and the man went to wash and, and he, his sight was restored. And the neighbors and everyone around were astounded because this guy was, was born blind and they tried to, try to dismiss it. They tried to say that, oh, no, you know, he, he's, um, uh, he's not the same man as someone else. But he said, no, I'm the same man. I'm the guy who was born blind and now I can see. And, and this was like, a un, like, it's one thing to heal a man that, that was, not, was blind after birth, but it's another thing to heal a man that is blind at birth. And, um, and so they brought him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were like trying to, the Pharisees didn't like Jesus, so they were trying to like disturb, they're like, okay, what are we going to do with this miracle that Jesus has performed? And obviously this man has been provided for by Jesus, you see, he has been healed, has been provided for. And the Pharisees went to his parents and the parents said, oh, we don't know, you're going to ask the man. And it's amazing actually this man's response, you know. You, you look at it and um, the Pharisees are basically interrogating him and asking him, how did you, how did you, how did this happen? And you know, is this man a sinner? And he says, I don't know whether this man is a sinner. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. And, and they kept interrogating him. This guy was so bold. You must remember that this, to be born blind is a sign of sin in the Jewish society. So this guy was like of a low, you know, now everyone is talking about low social status and social economic status. This guy was of a low social status. The Pharisees were the religious leaders. And so he might have, he should have been very like, Kowtowing to the Pharisees, but look at what he says. They ask him so many questions until he's basically asking them, Hey, why are you so capo? You also want to be this man's follower, is it? That's how bold he became when he was touched by Jesus. And uh, the Pharisees got angry and they threw him out. And it would be great if the story ended there. It would be a great story of healing, of, of, of restoration, of men becoming bold. But what happens after that? What happens in verse 35? Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And he went and found him. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, Who is he sir? And, he says, and, then he, and, and then the man believed in Jesus. But the point is, all that Jesus did, healing him, 
you know, giving him, emboldening him, all that was not for his own sake, but it's because Jesus wanted to go back to seek him, to, to, to have a relationship with him and to get to know him. And it is from that that then Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This is what I do. I provide and then I come and seek you. I provide and then I come and seek you. You Pharisees, you throw him out, but I am the good shepherd. I provide for you and I come and seek you. And so, I would I'd just like, as I conclude, I'd like to invite the, the musicians up on stage. Um, And yeah, so this really is the core of the message. And, and I don't know whether what I've said gives you a better understanding of, of what John 10 means. Um, why is it that Jesus is both the gate and the shepherd? But I want to end on that point uh, to just share a bit of what, what all these metaphors mean. And you see, um, Tim Keller, he gave this example. Um, or rather, he, he, he quoted, there was, there was supposedly this uh, early believer um, between an early Christian, there was this conversation between an early Christian and her neighbor in Rome. And the neighbor came to them, and this is a Roman neighbor who was like in um, Roman tradition and Roman religion. And he says, I hear you are religious. That's great. Religion is good. Where is your temple and your holy place? And the Christian replied, no, we don't have a temple. Jesus is our temple. No temple. But where then do your priests make uh, do their rituals. Now, we don't have priests or pr mediators in the presence of God. Jesus is our priest. No priests. But then, who does the offering for you? What, what about the offering? We don't need a sacrifice. Jesus is our sacrifice. And, and the pagan neighbor was, what kind of religion is this? And that's exactly the point. This is more than just a religion. What, what Jesus is revealing I believe true that he's the bread of life, that he is the gate, he is both the gate and the good shepherd, is that really he is our all in all. He is so central. No one I think is as central to a faith as Jesus is to the Christian faith. And it's just because, you know, man, we've been trying to go and find a way to solve things, but we just cannot. And it takes a divine saviour who's able to just completely fill the gap and completely take over to do that. And His way is the way that leads to life. His way is the way that provides and that provides love. So right now, I just want to invite us all to stand up. And let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. And, and for today, I would like to issue an altar call for, for two groups of people to respond to. The first are those who feel, you know, that you have been striving and struggling from your own strength. And you hear the Word of God today and you just really want to re rediscover what it means to be that little sheep that can trust and rely upon the Good Shepherd. And if that is you, I'd like to invite you later to the altar as we sing this song. If you feel the prompting 
of Jesus, I'd like to invite you to come and enter through the gate and find pasture and peace and rest. And the second group are those who, who hear of this good shepherd who is the lover of our souls. And for whatever reason today, you desire his embrace, his affirmation, his touch, and his fellowship. And again, if as we sing, you know, Jesus is calling to you today, would you respond? So let me just close in prayer. Jesus, thank you for your word and for being our good shepherd. You truly are. You care for your flock. You care for us. You make us lie down in green pastures and lead us by quiet waters and refresh our souls. You love us and seek us. And I pray right now you just seek out and speak to the hearts of everyone here and just give us a revelation of the abundant life that you have for us. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this song together.
close by reading you Psalm 23. You just close your eyes and listen to this psalm. The Lord is our shepherd. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I have everything I need. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though, even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's not always a good time, but even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. And God, we thank you that you are our good father. And Jesus, we are so thankful that you lead us, you lead us beside quiet waters and you restore our soul. You make us lie down in green pastures. We thank you that we can find rest, we can find provision, we can find love in your presence that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it is but a shadow. We fear no evil, for you are with us. You are with us. So God, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you that you are the bread of life. You are the light of the world. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the gate. You are the shepherd. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done and who you are to us. So we say we praise you, we love you, and we lift you on high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, our service is over. We'll see you next week. For Easter, I will talk about I am the resurrection.